0: Each month, the Security Ledger podcast informs and entertains an audience of thousands of technology and information security professionals. If that sounds like an audience your company is trying to reach, consider sponsoring one of our podcasts. We offer per-episode sponsorships of our weekly podcasts, which feature news, analysis, and discussion of the most important cybersecurity topics of the day. Or you can commission a custom podcast to highlight your executives, researchers, and subject matter experts. To learn more, point your web browser to securityledger.com slash sponsor. Hello, and welcome to the Security Ledger podcast. I'm Paul Roberts, editor-in-chief at the Security Ledger in this week's episode of the podcast number 207.
1: As we just said, there's so much unfilled cybersecurity positions out there and then COVID-19 made those talent problems more acute because both the attack surface got bigger. So everyone went to working from home. And then as you indicated, uh, we had people either losing their jobs and women specifically during COVID have lost a lot more jobs than men have, or they or they had to opt out of the workforce at, at a much higher rate than their male counterparts to do things like, like take care of their children or, or family members.
0: Women face many challenges in the workplace, and that's especially true in information security, where women make up less than a quarter of all InfoSec professionals. So what does it take to build a workplace that fosters and encourages women? In this episode, we continue our observance of Women's History Month by speaking with Sarah Tatsis, who is the Senior Vice President of the Advanced Technology Development Labs at BlackBerry. Sarah is a 20-year veteran of BlackBerry and has held a number of positions within the organization during her time there. Today, Sarah and her team of engineers are responsible for taking new technologies from ideation to incubation to delivery into BlackBerry products for helping BlackBerry stay on the cutting edge of security innovation. Sarah is also the president of the Seroptimist International of Kitchener Waterloo, a volunteer organization that provides women and girls with access to education and training they need to achieve economic empowerment. We talk about the challenges that women face in modern society where technology enabled threats like deep fake videos, cyber stalking and surveillance disproportionately affect women compared with men. To start off, I asked Sarah to talk about her path to the cybersecurity field and her work at BlackBerry.
1: Sarah Totsa, Senior Vice President of Advanced Technology Development Labs at BlackBerry.
0: Sarah, welcome to Security Ledger Podcast. Thank you. It's great having you. It's Women's History Month, and we're talking to some prominent women in the information security field, both about the work that they're doing and about their journey to information security and their thoughts on making the field more hospitable to women. Sarah, could you tell us just a little bit about how you came to be an information security professional and kind of the path you followed to to this field?
1: Yeah, sure. And my path to becoming a cybersecurity professional actually is very much because of Blackberry's path over the last twenty years. So I joined Blackberry in two thousand and one as a co-op student, actually in their quality organization as part of the organization that was building handsets at the time. So my background is, a, is in math, and I have a, a master's in statistics as well. And the great thing about BlackBerry over the years is being able to use that math background in quite a diverse set of roles within the company. So I've been in in the quality side, I've been in customer support and care, supply chain, manufacturing. Um, I was also the head of pricing and demand and supply balancing. And then in the last number of years, especially after our acquisition of Silence in maybe about two years ago, BlackBerry continued to double down on the cybersecurity investment and story for the company. Now we always were a security company that that was one of the key things about our BlackBerry uh, handset technologies and and the management of mobile devices within an enterprise. But when we brought Silence a couple of years ago, we then had just even more cybersecurity capability within the company, whether that be endpoint protection technologies or detection and response capabilities. So um, the last number of years is really when I got as part of the head of our advanced technology development labs got a lot more involved in the security side and helping to essentially keep BlackBerry basically doing a lot of ideation, incubation and, and delivery of new security technologies uh, into BlackBerry's roadmap. And, and that's where I've been focused the last number of years.
0: So tell us just a little bit about what's on your plate. What types of problems are you looking into?
1: Yeah, at Labs, actually, we've had a really diverse uh, number of initiatives over the last couple of years. So we helped the company to create our mobile endpoint protection technologies. We did work with the government of Canada around security audit of their COVID alert app. We brought the endpoint security capabilities um, that we had on the enterprise side into the connected auto- automobile Our team is currently developing BlackBerry Ivy, which is a uh, intelligent vehicle data platform. And then we we also champion the cybersecurity education program with the Girl Guides of Canada. So quite a diverse set of initiatives this year. And really the focus is on uh, how do we just keep BlackBerry on that cutting edge of security innovation?
0: You mentioned the work that BlackBerry did with uh, Girl Guides of Canada. First of all, explain what that organization is and, Talk about this collaboration you did around really kind of a cyber curriculum.
1: Girl Guides of Canada is, well, it's very similar and I think eventually the same organization of Girl Scouts. Girl Scouts, yeah. Right. Yeah. And um, they have about 70,000 members here in Canada. And we worked with them on a really, well, it was a groundbreaking program, really, in terms of having the first cybersecurity. Focused education built out for them, and so it was really designed in a way to give girls and the Girl Guides of Canada. It spans girls from the ages of five to eighteen, and it's very similar to Girl Guides or Boy Scouts in terms of like taking, doing different activities and learning new things. And then as you go through those activities, you earn badges essentially to kind of show that you've created or or that you've established that that you now have a new skill. And so when we work with them, we essentially put together the, a digital defenders program. So girls who, who took this program as part of their troop, they got a digital defenders badge and it really took an approach to, you know, how things work from a cybersecurity perspective. The girl guides are, are really great at being able to take complex ideas and make them into like active play hands-on activities. And you know they don't do typically they're they're not doing this in front of a computer right they're they're together as a troop and so they need hands on activities so we worked with them to give them ideas and different topics around what cybersecurity is and then they create these great activities that girls would would love to partake in so for an example the, to help understand the concept of encryption they used different paint colored and like so basically paint mixing and color mixing to understand how encryption would work so you know the different color is uh, is essentially like an encryption key or a decryption key, or things like uh, playing tag based games to to describe how malware might infect your computer so yeah so it was, it's really quite a great program they had about five five and over five and a half thousand girls within about a year, less than a year and a half since it launched, have taken the program. And they've done something like 20,000 different activities related to cybersecurity. And then once they do these activities, they also kind of as well, hopefully, um, it sparks their interest, it might be something that they want to go into in the future. And they also go away uh, with their troop leaders, and be able to or their club leaders and be able to, you know, describe things like how to stay safe online. And so we give them supplementary materials as well as part of that program.
0: It's interesting because there are you know, there are like important concepts around cybersecurity to that you need to master and understand. And and then there's there's often the cybersecurity work that like professionals do, like vulnerability researchers or malware reverse engineers or or even just, you know, secure software developers. But if you don't have those foundational concepts, it's hard. When you get into some of the work though, it can cross into areas that might to some seem transgressive, you know, looking for looking for flaws in software applications or, you know, smart devices to exploit or that a bad guy could exploit. How do you deal with that when you're when you're talking with young women who are part of, you know, Girl Guides, Girl Scouts? Uh, And how do you kind of uh, broach those subjects and and also broach out material?
1: I think it's really interesting. I think we do need to demystify cybersecurity in general from it being male hackers in a basement. (laughs) And that's what's appealing. I mean... The,
0: the, Mr. Well, the Mr. Robot problem.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it's really a it's really for people who are very curious, interested people that want to do problem solving, and that just about that just about covers a, a lot of people, right? Um, and I think the other thing, when talking with some of the the team members from the Girl Guides, what they really see is you know fostering early interest in STEM in girls you know having them spark that interest and then feel supported in it and seeing you know that it isn't just male-dominated fields or you know that essentially that they can do anything is really important and it does lead to to future success one of the one of the concepts that we introduce here at the teenager age group so the kind of pathfinders age group is talking a little bit about machine learning and data science which i think is as well a really key field whether it's in cybersecurity or in you know other other areas and so even just the introduction of those topics hopefully what it does is spark curiosity and then seeing that this is a path or a career path that they could take hopefully girls stay in that in those stem related fields more often and are you know able to to move forward and want to move into careers when they graduate out of out of high school and then into university.
0: It's interesting too, because for, for women in technology and computer programming, in some ways it's sort of reclaiming history, right? Like if you go back to the very early days of programming and coding, you know, like many of those professionals were women and many of the pioneers like Grace Hopper in the field were women. And then, you know, in the 60s, 70s, 80s. It became much more a male-dominated field. So it's it's interesting, and so I think in some ways it's about reintroducing women to this field that they had a big part in, in establishing.
1: I think that's true, and uh, in the cybersecurity field, there's only about less than a quarter of cybersecurity professionals identify as female, and
0: yeah, I, twenty twenty four percent, I think is the latest. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I think that I mean I think that's a shame, right? Like you know why only a quarter? And then there's lots of reasons for it, I'm sure. But we have such a big skills gap, um, you know, 4 million open positions or something like that. So it seems kind of crazy to me that we're leaving so much talent on the, let's say, on the uh, on the bench when we, we could be addressing the cyber skills gap through that talent.
0: You talked about this in this piece you wrote for Dark Reading, how recruiting women can help solve security's biggest problems. Talk About that, and what do you see as the impediments or the stumbling blocks uh, or the barriers to women not only entering the field, but even more importantly, staying in it? And you talk a little bit about the impact of COVID, and I mean, we've seen this across industries. There's the you know flight of women from the workplace, not because they want to, but because of the crisis created by COVID and the, the childcare crisis, and so on.
1: As we just said, there's so much unfilled cybersecurity positions out there, and then COVID-19 made those talent problems more acute because both the attack surface got bigger. So everyone went to working from home. Well, not everybody, but a lot of people went from working from home or to working from home, which created now a expanded attack surface. And then on top of that, cyber criminals or bad actors also seemed to double down and Want to attack more? Have even more attacks. So the risk actually got a lot higher. And then as you and then as you indicated, uh, we had people either losing their jobs, and women specifically during COVID have lost a lot more jobs than men have, or they or they had to opt out of the workforce at a much higher rate than their male counterparts to do things like like take care of their children or or family members. I think. Yeah, in that article, I suggested that maybe, you know, targeting engagement campaigns focused on women and training female professionals that are uh, wanting to re-enter the workforce as COVID hopefully improves significantly with vaccines. Having those type of programs and focus specifically on the cybersecurity field could be a way of addressing that issue. In addition to the talent gap issue though, that gender diversity and inclusion issue is a big one, not only in cybersecurity but across the across kind of all STEM fields and in fact actually in business in general. And I think there's been lots of studies over the last like 5 to 10 years just showing what the impact of having diverse and inclusive teams is on the bottom line for companies. So I think there was one from McKinsey that was showing that the companies that are in the top quartile of diversity and inclusion programs on average are more likely to have almost 25 percent greater profitability on average. So, I mean, that then those that are in the bottom fourth quartile. So basically, those that don't have, you know, inclusion and diversity programs that or aren't very good at this are seeing business results that are reflecting that. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I'm not I'm not an expert in diversity and inclusion, but my suggestion to people would be and to business leaders in general, that focusing on diversity and inclusion is likely to put them at an advantage over their competitors and we need that as well for resilience and to recover after the pandemic. And so yeah, there if you've got a great diversity and inclusion program as a company, you probably have better access to talent now. Yeah better access to diverse skills, diverse leadership styles, diverse perspectives. And all of that, I think, is is really key in terms of building back after COVID.
0: Where do you think as societies we go wrong? Because we know young women tend to uh, at least equally perform with, if not outperform, young men in elementary and into middle school and in math and science. And then, you know, the data would suggest there's a gap emerges in that kind of late middle school high school period and then obviously if you look in at college i mean historically and i think this is changing there's there's been a you know fewer women migrating to fields in in science technology engineering math um again changing over time but but historically that's been the case where are we falling down as a society what are we not doing that we need to be to get that ideal outcome, which is, you know, 50% participation by women, 50% by men, you know, like it's, it's, uh, you know, you can't look at the field and say, oh yeah, that's more likely to be men in that field than women or, or vice versa.
1: Yeah, it, it's a big problem. <laughs> I, yeah, uh, yeah, and, and I don't I, expect
0: you to solve it, by the way, Sarah. I'm just asking. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, no, I wish, Honestly, I wish I could. I could give, but I can give some uh, at least ideas from my own experience.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um,
1: yeah, I, I would say that I know in discussions with the girl guys, they were saying that even when they do studies and ask kids whether boys are better at math or girls, it's surprising that the majority of people answer boys are better at math. And these yeah. are kids, right? Like kids yeah. that already like have this bias uh, yeah. in them. I think-
0: Even if the data doesn't support that.
1: Yeah, even if the data doesn't support it, they've already been taught that this is the way it is, taught through society, maybe not through their parents, but taught by, by society at large that men are better at math somehow, which is completely ridiculous. So I think, you know, you do have to have this intervention early and what I would say is that part of it is role modeling. So women being able to, or girls being able to see women that are in every field, it's really important. See representation, see themselves as prime minister, right? See themselves as president, um, you know, see themselves as the head of technology organizations. I think it's really, really important that role modeling, because I think if you can see it, you can be it, is is kind of what the girl Guides. uh are saying as part of some of the, some of the initiatives that they're doing. I think it's a great great way of looking at it. I'll give a personal example too. This year with COVID, m- my children are doing distance learning, and I have a daughter in grade ten. She has do I. Oh, you do. Okay, <laughs> great. So, so this this might be interesting to you. So the um, before this, and and obviously I love math. I have my masters in it. Right. I was always into math and stay stuck with it she was never interested in math and she was good at it before the last couple of years um, but she would never open up I'd say hey do you, what do you think about doing math she's like oh it's not cool it's not good none of her friends are in math um, you know she's not all that interested but now, given she's gone home for distance learning the last year, she's excelling at math, like, she's now taking grade 11 math, she's already focused on okay. these I mean, Yeah, and I'm pretty sure it's the removal of her not having to be in this classroom with her friends and the boys around her and the girls around her influencing what it is she wants. to yeah, do. Yeah,
0: that is fascinating. It's also, I mean, also, I hate to say it, but math is one of the few courses that, you know, is adaptable to remote learning as well. Like, I know my daughter is like, oh, you know, we had photography and like, it's just ridiculous because we're not there. And like, he's like, oh, but then we had math and like, you know, math's math. I think that probably is it. Like, it's not about the subject matter; it's about you know young women feeling the expectations of their friends, and and in some ways just wanting to shape themselves to those.
1: Yeah, I think so. And you know, I would never have gotten her to take a computer programming course, like, uh, but I am this year. <laughs> like, she's like, "I'm in," you know. And part yeah. of it is because I think she was worried I'm going to go in this classroom with you know a bunch of boys and yeah, you know, what's yeah. it gonna be like and my friends won't think it's cool or whatever right and i mean it's not their friends fault. really They're their too, right yeah um, so it's really society in general that is having an impact i think and then in the work world i mean there's a lot there's a lot there too just you know around i think we're we're seeing girls move into like kind of that those entry-level positions at a higher rate but not high enough but Mm -hmm. i think it is difficult to keep women engaged especially if they're not in an inclusive environment
0: Mm -hmm.
1: there's lots of other options that people people can go and maybe don't feel that they need to to Mm -hmm. let's say push through and if they're not feeling like this is for them right so i think we need to do a better job too at the how to move women into like more senior roles and yeah and, and really show them that path. It's not just about getting people interested, but it's also keeping them in in these fields right
0: So I mean you stayed at Blackberry for for you said 20 years now, right? So what did Blackberry do right to, to hold on to Sarah?
1: Yeah, I think they gave me lots of different opportunities. Uh so that that's key for me is okay buckberry we definitely had a had a lot of different transitions over the last 20 years but yeah
0: yeah uh, maybe that's an
1: understatement for, for some companies but yeah i always got to do new things right and i had a couple of great leaders who just said oh you know what i know you can do this it's not exactly what what you're currently doing and I've always been in the mon- mindset that why not? Like, why not try it, right? If you fail, then you've learned something. I do think there's some people who are more held back by, by that. Um, you know, the, the risk that, okay, if they move to a different field and they don't do as well or a different role and don't do as well, then, you know, that will be have a big impact. But I think it's additional opportunities, new learning, new growth, and then, yeah, a couple of really great leaders in there.
0: In your article, you mentioned really interesting study uh, or an event, rather, that BlackBerry sponsored that looked at technology-facilitated gender-based violence. And uh, it's interesting because just today in, in the US, I don't know if you're hearing this in Canada, there was a story about this mother who who, you know, made deep fake versions of her daughter's, you know, cheer squad uh, teammates and, you know, sent them around to coaches and stuff and try and get them, you know, kicked off the team or something. I mean, it's a horrible story. But, you know, there is this aspect of um, women in the workplace uh, in which technology is being leveraged, particularly with things like deepfakes, to create a hostile environment for women or even, you know, threaten them. Talk just a little bit about that and kind of that, that event and what BlackBerry has, has been doing on that issue.
1: That event was fascinating. And I think it is really interesting that from a cybersecurity perspective, we're very focused on data breaches and the loss of, of funds or, or money and the impact of, of those things, but there's mm-hmm. much, much more at stake. The amount of violence against women where technology is being used is has increased exponentially. Since COVID, I think it's itself just in the last year up by 30 30 to 50% is what the what the agencies on the ground are saying. And it can take the form of, as you as you described, deep fake technology where you're basically fabricating sexual images like non-consensually. And you can go on the dark web and get this type of thing done for like hundred dollars it, it's not inaccessible, but it can also look at things like public disclosure of private information. So mm-hmm. women, doxing, yeah, yeah, or women women um, who are in the public space, maybe they. I mean, just look what they have to deal with in terms of people coming online and like comments and mm-hmm. uh, about them. And yeah. uh, but even worse, they can people can disclose their public information. Now you have yeah. people showing up at their house and other things. Yeah, and then you know online harassment and you know unauthorized use of of devices and I mean stalkerware. <laughs> Also, people using technology in a way it maybe wasn't initially intended for, but now is being used to perpetrate violence. So things like there's applications there where you can. I think they're meant for parents to keep an eye on their children, but they're being used by by intimate partners to basically gain control of women. Um, So I think I think these are really interesting challenges that need to be overcome. And having more women in cybersecurity field, I think we would start to see, hey, the impact isn't only data breaches and, um, you know, loss of funds for an organization or loss of IP. It's really that people are using um, maybe security flaws or and certainly privacy flaws in order to perpetrate, like. Physical violence, psychological violence, emotional violence, economic harm against women and children, and yeah, so having diverse groups that you know are really looking into this and and ways that this type of harm could be reduced would be really
0: important. Sarah, is there anything I didn't ask you that you wanted to say?
1: I just want to thank you because I think like having these type of conversations is is perfect, right? The more we have these conversations, the more I hope people think about what they could do to foster more diverse and more inclusive teams within organizations and I mean hopefully we can accelerate some of the the progress um, that's kind of too slowly in my mind being made towards gender uh, equity and and diversity and inclusion. That's likely even worse now, worse uh, in terms of it's regressed quite a bit I think because of COVID. But yeah, I, I just really want to thank you. I think it's great that we have these type of conversations and that people are listening and then really thinking about what they could do.
0: Sarah Tatsis of BlackBerry, thank you so much for coming on and speaking to us on Security Ledger Podcast.
1: Thank you very much.
0: And happy Women's History Month.
1: Thank you. Same to you.
0: Sarah Tatsis is the Senior Vice President of the Advanced Technology Development Labs at BlackBerry.